to get in that space of flow. And psychology has a, a concept of when we're in workflow, that's a place where time stops. We need our inner child to be able to do that, to be able to imagine and grow and challenge and think through things in different lenses and in different ways. And if we have locked away those parts of ourselves, then all we've done is we haven't grown into our adult self, we've just gotten taller. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life, rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox. And I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles. Who are you before the world told you who to be? This is a question that we often ask at OnSite. We use it as an invitation to help us begin to peel back the protective layers that may have built up over time. In psychology and mental health circles, that person, the truest, most authentic version of ourselves, is often referred to as our inner child. Today's guest, on-site clinician Carlos Martinez, sat down with Lindsay and Miles to help us all better understand the concept, the value, and the journey of rediscovering and reconnecting with our inner child. Through his work, Carlos has helped thousands of people return to themselves. In this episode, he graciously shares a few tools to help us remember the wonder and childlike nature that we may have lost along the way. Welcome our colleague and friend, Carlos. Here we are. Welcome, Carlos. We're glad to have you. Thanks for having me. we got the home team here today. Carlos, it's so fun to have you on here. I think that one of the things that people that encounter you realize is not only are you just a sage and have so much wisdom, but you just live it out and you exude authenticity. And so yes. you make people feel sort of instantly safe and free to feel whatever they're feeling. And so I know that we all just want more time with Carlos. So hopefully this <laughs> will give more people access to that. <laughs> Well, that's a that's a good that's a good place to start. Lens is talk to us, Carlos, a little bit about the road between knowledge and information, and then you know living. You know, you might call that the road of integration, being able to integrate what we know and put it into action with who we are. What's that like for you? Mm. Oh gosh! So Mike Tyson said, "Everyone's got a plan to you get punched in the mouth," and so. I have a lot of great information about mental health and mental health space and what works. And then I get thrown in a situation and then it's no longer about what my front brain knows. Now it's a matter of what have I been cultivating. And if I have not been cultivating the tools to regulate and to be present and to remember that, no, 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 I'm in my adult self. I'm okay. If I've not been cultivating that, then all my knowledge gets thrown out the window. And I feel like what we do, what we do exceptionally well at OnSite is helping people integrate uh, miles like you talk about the 18 inches from the head to the heart. And so when you get punched in the mouth, which you will metaphorically or actually physically, that preparation that leads into your reaction versus your responding, that that's that's the world. That's the difference of the world. Mm-hmm. That's so well said. And you, you mentioned your adult self, and that's kind of what we were hoping to talk to you a little bit about today, because it's a, an important, I think, if not vital framework that we lean on as part of the transformative process mm-hmm. of becoming the best version of yourself. And in order to do that, uh, you know, a lot of schools of thought have long said, well, let's take where you are now and let's just move forward and forget what's in the rearview mirror because mm-hmm. it's not helpful. And I think I have experienced, I think science backs it up too, but that, uh, you know, that old thing, wherever we go, there we are, that mm-hmm. we're going to right. unconsciously bring along parts of ourselves and often those parts or those imprints can happen through the lens of adverse life experiences or psychological or emotional 
generational trauma. So we all experience that somewhere along the timeline and it can unconsciously have us not just bring some of the unwanted parts forward. It can have us leave some of the vital and beautiful parts behind. And that's, you know, I think we can abandon certain parts of ourselves and the, you know, the framework I'm referencing, some people link the origin of it back to Carl Jung, but it's been around for a long time. He talked about it, the child archetype, but you know, it, you hear about it now more through the lens of inner child. We want to explore that in today's podcast. Like, why does it matter? Why is it important? Tell us about that process, how it works. But even on the front end, I just want to say up front that often therapeutic language uh, or the words that we use to frame concepts can uh, shut down, you know, they can send our trap door uh, to a place of like, ooh, you know, that feels too this or too that or mm-hmm. I've heard that before. Or so really when you hear us use the word child, which we may use a lot, but we're big here at onsite and the Living Center podcast of trying to neutralize psychological and therapeutic terminology and make it translatable so that because it's applicable to everybody it just is i and and hopefully we'll prove that true after the next 45 minutes but sometimes the words alone can turn you off so really what we've been using lately and we just did this in a digital course called rediscovering you that's really all we're talking about is Mm -hmm. what parts of ourselves do we need to reclaim and at what age might that be And what we find is what we're going to talk about today through the lens of inner child is there's a pretty crucial component to that. But I just wanted to say that up front, that uh, if you hear inner child and you're like, I've heard that before and you're already ready to tune us out, plug in just reclaiming or rediscovering parts of you that will support you and live in your best self. So Carlos, introduce us to the concept of reclaiming those parts and what that means to you. Yeah, so for me, that concept of the inner child I, I, first of all, I 100% agree with you. I think our language can exclude people and it can have people not understand what it is that we're, that we're talking about. So I guess if I were to boil down my concept of the inner child, it would be what parts of yourself are most authentic that are your source of creativity and authenticity and spontaneity. That's straight from Jacob Moreno, you know, um, those parts of ourselves that I think we lock away in closets that we were told, shut up. I don't want to hear that. You know, girls or boys don't cry. Don't, um, I'll give you something to cry about. So those parts of ourselves that, that were able to engage in play when the floor was lava, when we could have tea time, when I, uh, so desperately wanted to play with my sister's Mrs. Beasley dolls, you know, and uh, <laughs> those those parts of us that could engage in what in adult language would be not necessarily play, but we we want to get in that space of flow. And psychology has a, a concept of when we're in workflow, that's a t- place where time stops. We need our inner child to be able to do that to be able to imagine and grow and challenge and think through things in different lenses and in different ways. And if we have locked away those parts of ourselves, then all we've done is we haven't grown into our adult self. We've just gotten taller Mm. and bigger. So if your inner child or your most authentic place, why child? Why does that, why do you feel like it happens at that time period, childhood? You mentioned a couple of things like scripts that we hear. Mm-hmm. Why do you think there's a certain age of development where we almost get conditioned to grow out of or leave behind as a way to adapt to the world? Yeah, I think it's, it's about wonder. When's the last time you looked at something with wonder? And don't you, you, uh, and Miles, you particular, don't you have to sometimes borrow your kid's eyes to see something with wonder? Mm-hmm. When you walk by something and your little one stops and maybe their mouth hangs open just a little bit or their eyes open just a little bit. And it's a thing that you've seen 50, 100 times, but 
they've seen it for the second time or third time and you stop and the wonder is in looking at their face and the wonder that they have. So what if we could look at creativity or uh, relationships or um, things that we take for granted so easily? What if we could look at our systems with wonder? There's an old Yalom quote, having wonder that things exist at all. Mm. And Kids are exceptionally good at that. And then through chores and sports and don't hit your sister, don't hit your brother, through eat those vegetables, through the just the day-to-day lessons of life in which we have to learn. You know, we it, vegetables are good for us, as it turns out. We shouldn't hit our brother or his sister. <laughs> um, but it's the messages that that also say life is about sunrise to sunset versus those golden hours of twilight and and dawn those magic hours and anything in between that that's where that's where connection is Mm. i think we lose a lot of that and and the inner child is that place it's that person who we connect with that was able to pretend like this is GI Joe. This is the six million dollar man. This is uh, this is a doll, but he's my friend. You know. I think for me, it felt like I, I wanted to stop being childish. You know, mm-hmm. and I threw out the ability to be childlike. Yes. Yeah. And, and so the idea that it's taken me sort of coming back around of like, how do I not be childish, which would be bad but learn to embrace the wonder that you're talking about, the curiosity, mm-hmm. the parts of myself that got lost in my attempts to not be childish. They yeah. sort of got thrown out wrongly, you know? Yeah, I think that sometimes when we in the world hear about, oh, inner child, what, you want, want me to run around like a, you know, we think about that distinction and we think it is childish, whereas we would, prefer the childlike, you know, uh, and I think, no, a, a grown human being, nobody wants to see a childish grown human being, but to see a grown human being like an adult still have access to childlike wonder, it's the best, you know, I, I, and I think, I think it's what attracts us to each other. I don't know about you, but I'm in need of a reset. The last 15 months have made it really difficult to maintain the rhythms and habits that I know are essential to my mental and emotional wellness. As I look to further pivots, shifts, and more unknowns in the months ahead, I really want to enter the next season more grounded, self-aware, and resilient. That's why I want to invite you to join me to take Onsite's 30 Days of Living Centered starting June 1st. If you've been feeling like your days are running you instead of the other way around, you're not alone. This course is for anyone that feels off balance and unsettled by the chaos of life. This self-paced program is an invitation to establish the daily practices and rhythms that keep us grounded, even in the midst of chaotic circumstances. When you sign up, you'll receive 30 days of video teachings, short reflections, and practices designed to put the topic into action. We've even built in daily reminders to keep you accountable. How fun would it be to do this in community? If you purchase before May 31st, you can join members of the on-site team and community as we take on the 30 Days of Living Centered course all together. We'll be starting on June 1st. Be sure to follow us on Instagram for extra encouragement and accountability along the way. If you're ready to jumpstart your summer with a collective reset, join us. We're giving our podcast community 50% off when you use the code podcast. Head to onsiteworkshops.com slash 30 days together to learn more. You know, just to try to dive in and humanize the idea of why we as a species have created an, an ecosystem to where it's somewhat countercultural, but yet we're really drawn to it when we see it. You know, when we see someone who is 
integrated. They don't lose their adulthood, but they can have a very playful and not even necessarily always playful, but just a well-rounded emotive experience. Their uh, emotions are available, even the ones that we say aren't, you shouldn't feel. Mm-hmm. When they have all that on board, when they haven't lost their sense of um, honesty or they've reclaimed it, I make up that it's not the norm per se, because I think as a species, we've gone through difficult times. We're in the middle of one of the most difficult times mm-hmm. in our history right now. And when we collectively go through difficult times, we do our best to try to adapt uh, based on not necessarily thriving, but surviving. Mm-hmm. You talk a lot about this in the way that the brain is wired and how trauma impacts it. But I really think the fact that we try to mature people out of that space or grow people out of that space and not to bring certain parts along with them started as a sense of survival, you know, from all the way back to times like the Great Depression and other times in history where we were trying to figure out the best way to move forward as a species. I don't think it was intentional. And a lot of people think when they hear inner child work in therapeutic circles, we're only referring to people who've experienced significant trauma and therefore um, they had to grow up too fast to survive. And there is, that is really real. There's a lot of people who, whose childhood was stolen based on um, something that they were victim of that happened to them. But there's also a whole lot of people, just to humanize this, that grew up in a relatively stable home, in a home that on paper matched up as this is the ideal family. And yet it happens across the board. We don't see a lot of delineation from uh, what we lose. But I just wanted to say up front that I, I think that culturally it's, it's more common than we think and it's usually when we're in a sense of survival. So knowing that, and I'd love to hear you speak into where survive, where the survival brain comes or where, how it responds when it's in trauma. But also I want to start to pivot a little bit and say, okay, well, that's why we get there. And, and now let's start talking about, well, what can we do about it? Yeah, I think it makes total sense as to why we would get there. And part of it is a brain thing. I, I talk sometimes about how I drive a stick shift. I drive a manual and it's the only kind of car I want to, I ever want to own. <laughs> and I learned coming out of my subdivision when I was growing up, taking a right would land me on a hill next to a light that was uh, bridged by a railroad track. I mean, the three scariest things that you could have <laughs> with a stick shift, and those were all the three things that I was facing. <laughs> and I remember, oh my gosh, just like incredible terror in that. What does the brain do? The brain normalizes it. You get into patterns, you get into behavior, repeatable behavioral patterns. And now going to going up a hill at a light with a railroad track, it's, I'm thinking about what I'm going to have for lunch that day. So your brain puts those things that we learn to begin with, it puts it into repeatable behavioral changes because it needs that cognitive power to to do other things, to survive in other ways. And so part of it is with the, the inner child and that wonder, that that space of childlike wonder, part of it, yeah, we have to get the final done. We have to get make it a class on time and we have to go put the down payment on the on the bed that I was looking at. So all the things are normal that that's i wouldn't i don't want to pathologize that either our parents beat it out of us or society wrecked it for you know that that's life and so what it then takes is an intentionality to remember the things we've forgotten i think that's huge remembering Mm -hmm. the things we have forgotten and to circle back and wonder what was it like to wonder uh what would it be like if and getting into that routine that so the routine that wants to save our lives can also kind of slowly kill the kid in us because part of my routine becomes i get home what's for dinner make the dinner warm the dinner eat the dinner watch the netflix while eating the dinner read the book go to uh, kiss kiss the person go to bed um set the alarm so and and if my only refuge from that is a five-day vacation in a resort where I check my email three-quarters of the time for work, that's, that doesn't sound great. 
And no wonder we offer the space where we offer people, hey, come and get re-centered. Come and get reconnected. And people would want more of that. I want more of that. I wanted to ask you a, a, just a personal question because you were kind enough to share some of your story there or, or inserts. But also, one of my favorite things about you and, and people who know you would, I would think, echo this is that you crack yourself up sometimes. Thank you. I do. It's the first thing I say at any opening. I crack myself up. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think that that you have to have some of what you're talking about, some wonder and presence to be able to hear something that you're saying and realize it's quite funny. <laughs> or even if it's not funny, it doesn't matter if it's funny to others, it's funny right. to you. And you embrace it and you authentically laugh from probably the deepest part yeah. of your soul. And when when you do, it's quite contagious. So Carlos has a signature mm -hmm. laugh. Those of you know, you, you heard it just a little bit ago, but um, I've had, we've had people that come here from around the world and uh, do our Living Center program. And after they're like, can we get that laugh <laughs> in like a ring? <laughs> and so I'm, I'm just curious. I mean, I think that's, a, and, and I don't, I don't know. We've not really, we've, we've joked about it. Yeah. We've talked about it, but I've never really asked you a question about mm. it, like specifically. It sounds like a signature imprint, much in the way I was describing some of the artists earlier that just kind of live out mm -hmm. loud and embrace, you know, something that is truly theirs. But have has it always been that way always. for you? Oh, my gosh. Always. Yeah. And it's it's gone through different iterations when my voice register was higher. It, it was very unique. Uh not that it's not now, but it's it's gone through different phases. And I'm also someone who's experienced some some incredible pain and suffering in my life. I mean, people might look at me and think, oh, well, you know, why is this why is this so happy all the time? I'm 100 percent not. <laughs> and there's also so much for me. I guess I do have wonder. I, I still have a sense of wonder and a lot of the work that I've done has been in reintegrating and getting con connected back with my inner child who I, I didn't really like. I actually, I hated for a long time, but I mean, I have incredible stories, uh, both in the positive and the negative. One time uh, I went to the movies, uh, I was on a date and I saw my uh, best friend at the time, the next day at school, I didn't know he was at the movies, but he said, so how was, how'd you like the movie? <laughs> <laughs> like Carlos is in here somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere in here, Carlos. Is. <laughs> That's kind of where I was going. Carlos is that a lot. Often. I think when we have a, a childlike component that is uniquely ours, the world tells us, or we get imprinted somewhere along the way that we should hide it. And I just wonder for you, has it, have you ever? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I beat you to the, <laughs> to the punch there, but I have to tell you that <laughs> so I cracked myself up. <laughs> I have tried a couple of times to diminish it. 100%. You know, I've told myself after hearing, you know, Carlos, nothing is that GD funny being told that my laugh is effeminate or it's too much, or I have uh, family members who will fly into a, <laughs> rage when we've been out to dinner and I've laughed and other people have made comments and they want to hurt <laughs> people who say something about it. But I, I've, for a couple of times in my life, I, I tried to make it smaller and it just, it, it's, ne it's never stuck. It's never worked because I can't squelch that, that part of me. It comes from deep within me. Hmm. And talk about talk to the rest of us about there is a part which I think you're in some ways metaphorically I'm paralleling your signature and awesome laugh to parts of ourselves you know our inner child that is deep within us uniquely ours we too and, and a lot of us are successful in mm -hmm. squelching it and so let's assume that a lot of people listening and, and me included, I can relate. There's parts of myself that I just still unconsciously as much as I know this information and I want to live uh, integrated with those parts. I don't let the world see some of that. I let my mm -hmm. kids see it because I can't hide mm -hmm. it from my kids. They just draw yeah. it out of me. 
but often I want I want to let the world see it more. And I imagine I'm not alone there. So how how might you support someone in beginning to re reclaim those parts? Uh, yeah, I think I think the largest investment we can make in people is time and space. I'm kind of working through this concept, giving people the space, leaning in to someone in curiosity to help them with their curiosity about themselves or the world or others, and to say, what is this for you? What's going on with you? And there's some people who, who see that. Uh, there's just, there's no greater scene, I think, that exhibits this than uh, the movie Hook with um, Robin Williams, who has grown up and forgotten himself. He forgot he was Peter Pan. Now he's Peter Panning, a corporate lawyer. And he goes back to Neverland, and in this one pivotal scene, uh, he's surrounded by the, the boys. And at some point, Robin is able to get back a little bit of wonder, and uh, or Peter, and one of the lost boys says, there you are. Oh, there you are. And I think having people in our life who will give us the time and the space to not rush and say, no, what time is that? You know, what, where are we going? What, what's, um, did that tell you that already? Or, um, and it doesn't even have to come across harshly. It can just be, look, I, I just, I don't have it. And in order to be able to do that for and with others, we have to be able to do that for and with ourselves. A, a com key component that, that I will preach forever at, and on site the work we do is that we cannot take someone further than where we've gone. And mm -hmm. if I'm not willing to do and be and exemplify the work, I cannot take other people there. So how do we call that out in others? We start with us and we give people the space to explore it for themselves. And we become attractive in the world that we show others in that wonder. In some ways, it's like jumping into the spring on, on a really hot day and say, whew, man, that was bracing. It, it's a little shivery and oh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be anywhere else. The water is so blue, it's so clear. Mm. You mentioned earlier sort of that you went through a period of time where you like even hated the childlike parts of yourself. Mm -hmm. how, how can somebody start assessing how they're perceiving that part of themselves. And just, I think for a lot of us, it can feel hard to know where to start and to even know how I am mm -hmm. and how good I am at embracing that part of me. Are there questions that we can ask ourselves or how, what began that untangling for you? Oof. I want to say that, that part of it was kind of forced on me because my life was unraveling in a lot of different ways and I needed, I needed to go and work on me. And I would say lots of people's lives unravel and still they don't get help. I think one of my wife's favorite things about me is that when I see things unraveling, I will, I have been willing to, to go and get help and, and, and ask people tough questions and things uh so i think asking myself what's it like being with me how are you without all the distractions um, that's a good one yeah you know i think it was uh, blaise pascal has said that most people's problems endure because people are not willing to sit alone with themselves to get to know who they they actually are so what's it like being with you message I learned from Andy Stanley in one of his messages was asking key people in your life, what's it like being on the other side of me? And me asking myself, what's it like being on the other side of me when I don't have the distraction, the word we use it on site a lot is medicator, but without that distraction of Netflix or Hulu or food or um, alcohol or whatever, What's it like being with me? And then if, I, if I'm not liking that, am I willing to have that tough conversation with myself and say, I'm not liking this so much. And 
am I willing to destigmatize getting the help for that? If I hear an engine in my car, I could very well say, it's fine, it's nothing. Here, turn the radio up. <laughs> turn the radio up louder, but we'll never hear it, it's fine. To hear rattling in the air conditioning unit. You know, if we normalize getting help for those kinds of things, why is it then when things are rattling around up in here or in here, um, I would love to be able to get to the place where we could normalize that and say, I'm taking myself in for a tune-up. And won't those around me benefit so much more because of that? I'm worth that investment. Yeah, what's, what's interesting about a, a because I like that you took us through kind of, and I'll recap this because I think you're in your own way of describing the process, you built some practical takeaways that I think will be good for all of us to consider. But we, you know, after we move through kind of the, the giving ourselves time and space and then begin to unravel by assessing our current reality. And then you started moving into the, the reconstruction phase, like what parts do we reconstruct or reclaim? And you referenced the tune up like we would for our, we wouldn't blink at doing with our car, but and with our, bodies or minds ourselves, it's something that we neglect until we absolutely need it. So we don't, uh, many of us don't go to the doctor or the therapist as, as preventative maintenance. Um, we go when we have a flat or uh, for me, it was when the wheels all fell off was when I decided <laughs> But you think about what we do when, let's say we take a car in and someone works on the alternator or some part of the the motor then you know typically we're trying to take it back to its original state to clean it mm -hmm. to repair it to um take it back to what was pure about it which is really interesting and often that means back to the tire metaphor is um we don't always it's not always of the best interest to just replace the tires sometimes patching them is the way to go Mm -hmm. to take them back to an original state. So talk to us about the reconstruction, doing your work phase more specifically. Uh, what does that look like, you know, in, in an environment like ours or just in, in general? So somebody's given themselves time, they've done some assessing work, they've recognized there's some medicators that might be blocking them from being able to reclaim certain parts. And then now let's get to the part where, okay, what might you, what road might you walk someone down to start reconstructing or reclaiming? Well, yeah, the first road, whatever road it would be, I would tell them to start small. Very, very small. You know, we talk sometimes about the, the two degree shift mm. in the work. And sometimes what I want to do is I don't want to, I don't want to start working on my health I want to bench press 300 pounds. I need to do it by tomorrow. You know, I'm going to, I'm not going to eat healthier. I'm going to become a vegan <laughs> and overnight. When, when I did that, when I became a vegan, it was the longest 32 hours of my life. And I did it all the, the wrong ways and just had this very all or nothing blanket mentality about it. When I started leaning into my work, it was more about, um, and I'm still working on this, this uh, a gentle reminder that it's taken me more than a year to get here. Can I give myself more than a week to get out? Mm. And can I give myself some space and grace to start working on the behavioral changes? It took me months to learn how to, to drive a stick shift and to deal with that hill and the light and the railroad tracks. So this is about small, repeatable, kind of changes that I want to do to myself, with, with myself. So it might look like journaling or shedding, having better sleep hygiene, you know, getting up 15 minutes earlier, spending time with me or my, my higher power, my, um, my source. I think it's about laying the groundwork and each each behavior like that, it's pulling a stitch into eventually the, the net that's going to sustain us when we do make that final jump. Mm. So all these behaviors are stitches that we're making in a net. Mm. 
when we make that jump into health, the net's going to hold us. It's going to hold us just fine. So that might, um, yeah, that, that's what I think. Hey, friends, Mackenzie here. I just want to make sure you know about something. Starting tomorrow, June 1st, we're going to be doing our 30 Days of Living Centered course together as an on-site community. Maybe you've heard us talk about it a lot over the last several months and wondered, what's this all about? Now's a really great time to jump in. I know for me, I'm personally excited about it because the summer's always a little bit of a chaotic time, but as the mother of a newborn, my life feels super chaotic. And I've already marked off my calendar every day to take time to check in on myself and slow down and prioritize my mental health. Every day, I'm going to watch the video, read the reflection, and take some time to actually reflect on the topic and the practice to put it into action. I think this is going to be way more fun in community. And because I want the entire podcast community to join in, we're giving you 50% off when you use the code podcast at checkout. So head to onsiteworkshops.com slash 30 days together and sign up. But remember, we're starting tomorrow, June 1st. If we were in an experiential, well, let say through the lens of an experiential context, which if you know much about the work we do in our live living center program, we, we very much aspire to create an action-oriented model and we find a lot of value in that. But let's just say it's for real time, it's you and I right now um, and you're guiding me and, to, and you'd like to, for maybe for the first time, to reintroduce me to my younger part and mm-hmm. let's take like a few minutes, two or three minutes here and just guide me through that process. And I'll take my podcast host hat off my miles hat off and just be, I'm just here as a guy that is struggling to get in touch with that part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would, um, I would have you close your eyes and put your hand on your heart. And in your mind's eye, do a 180 and look behind you. And there's that kid who's trailing behind you. He's always trailing behind you. And he has something to say to you. And you want to lean down, not get him to speak louder, but you want to lean in, maybe have him speak softer. And you want to ask him, what have you been trying to tell me? So I, I felt a little sadness come up in the moment because I I felt I saw him struggling to get my attention. Mm-hmm. I saw him clearly first when you said he's trailing behind me, and I saw this happy little kid skipping behind me. And then when it came to me asking him a question, I saw him start to struggle, waving his hands, mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to get my attention, but not being successful doing that. I think the sadness I feel, and this is just par for the course with me sometimes, it doesn't go to me first, it goes to my kids, and I wonder where they might be doing that with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let me tell you that that's okay. And what I would tell anybody is, borrow this a lot from Scott Peck's writings, um, but our Sometimes I hear parents say a lot, I just want, I just want my kids to be happy. Yeah, you know, success would be to have my kids happy. And I think, oh my God, what a burden for your children. Mm. Please do not put on them the goal to be happy. And Paul uh, Peck essentially writes that in The Road Less Traveled, that the goal would be to teach your kids how to suffer well. We don't teach people how to suffer well. Because the first line in the book, and not only in that book, but in most major religions, is life is difficult. The Buddha says life is suffering. Jesus said, uh, in this world, you will have trouble. Job said, as the sparks fly upward, so you will have pain and suffering. So, in every major tradition, there's going to be that pain. And what you teach them, not only your kids, but your little kid, is that it's okay to have the struggle to be seen and that you have the resources or the space to be able to lean down and and lean next to them and say, I'm sorry, I wasn't there for you. Now, what do you need? Mm 
Mm. And how can I tell you that I'm hearing you? And in doing that, you will teach them how to do that with themselves more. There will always be instances, <laughs> back to the rip and repair, there will always be rips. It's not about the rip, it's always about the repair. And if you can teach them and yourself to repair well, that little kid, my little kid is struggling to write it, to write right now. And I'm, a, I'm having a hard time hearing him and letting him. And it's not that you'll never not have him struggle or that your kids won't see you. It's that when they do speak up and hear you, that's the moment to lean in and say, oh, wow, you're so right. How can I show up? Mm, yeah. Gosh, so well said. And I think, you know, just pulling myself back out of that context for a moment. You know, I value and pay tribute to the work that I've done over the years and continue to do that it's not hard or shameful for me to, to, to explore that. And I think that might be what have, would have kept me from, you might be asking yourself the question, why would I want to discover or even feel that, well, one, discover that I might be a little distracted, distracted in my parenting, that I might be a little bit neglectful toward my little kid. And then why would you want to feel the emotion behind it? Uh, well, historically, shame kept me from even wanting to take one step towards that process yeah. because I just would leave it feeling like I'm not enough, I'm worthless. I don't feel any of that in my body right now. Mm. Yet, it does not deny the fact that what I just discovered, there's some truth to it. I'm not paying much attention to my, my kid right now, and I can be distracted with my own kids right now. Yeah. But I, I'm not denying that, but I don't feel shame. I feel hope Yeah. that I just had an opportunity here to be aware of something and and now I get an and, and one thing I can say is yes, I do that with my kids, and I do a pretty darn good job of repairing it. Mm -hmm. I'm proud of that part. So yeah. I think, especially for a lot of men, I don't know. I'm interested to see what you think, Lynn, too, on this. I think a lot of men we carry a lot of shame about we are the ones that have to have it all together all the time, yeah. and therefore any idea that we might be off par as a dad, as a parent, as a friend, as a leader, as a whatever. Um, activates so much shame that we just don't have space for it to actually live and give us the information that would ultimately breed hope. I think it's interesting. I did the exercise alongside you, Miles. And I think what I sort of heard from my inner child was sort of like this invitation to have fun and stop being so like focused all the time. And so where yours was more around the process of like realizing that your inner child was, you know, trying to get your attention. I really, mine probably also had a hard, has a hard time getting me to do that. But it was just like, I feel like as we've been talking, I keep trying to think of like, where are moments that I feel that connectedness and that freedom to be a little more loud and a little more fun. And sometimes I think it's like when I'm driving and I turn up the radio and I sing along really loudly yeah. or when I'm with friends and we'll have like a dance party, you know, it's just some of that for me, it's like breaking out some of the silliness that I don't let everybody see. So I love that exercise. It was really helpful for me. Yeah. Good. Um, just a, an idea. My family and I, uh, one thing we've done is we bought a, book of questions that we keep around the dinner table and at dinner we'll break out the questions and just start asking each other questions you can find uh questions about relationships and history and and i don't remember the the exact name of it but anything that would draw you out of the routine and take you into the moment it's those moments sitting around the fire around the table around even the workspace where we lean in and ask um what's your greatest disappointment this year or tell me your most favorite memory. Or if you were a color, what color would you be? You know, questions like that, that just help us lean in with that, that wonder. Yeah, I love that. So good. Yeah, I, I think, you know, in, in, there's a lot of different, some of you may be asking questions, well, how do I, 
how would I do this in real time? You know, there's a lot of creative ways that you can kind of start to reclaim or rediscover uh, the, those crucial parts of ourselves, particularly those younger parts. And we often, um, in our context, you write a letter to a certain age at a certain time. And uh, we might take the exercise that Carlos did with us, and hopefully you might have experienced it back home, and take that uh, you know, a little further through the guide of, uh, you know, some some really well-trained and just good humans is to say, uh, well, let's let's enroll somebody as that kid and let's mm-hmm. turn around and have a conversation with them. And and we might, and, and just, and that's just a couple of examples, but there's a lot of, and, and some of those I know would be hard to do at home. Um, couldn't encourage you more to, to do those if you get an opportunity with a professional that has some training in it, uh, you know, whether it be here or somewhere else, you could ask your counselor, your coach about uh, what they know about helping you have some of those conversations. But there are some things you can do at home just to be able to, well, I'll say it this way. These are more your words to, to give yourselves time. And I think when we give ourselves time and space, as Carlos said, we begin to give others time and space. Mm-hmm. We're not combating uh, time. Um, that it doesn't mean to fight it. It means to embrace that it's, you know, our reality, the time is really quick. That's real. And we can start investing in space and opportunities to counterbalance. It. Mm-hmm. That's what we curate here week after week is we slow down time. We sideline medicators. And we invite people into that space for themselves and other people. And then we begin to safely unravel, in Carlos's words, or assess our current reality. How are you with all the distractions was a question you ask. It's an important question we could ask ourselves in the right context when we have enough grace and empathy on board. And we can do some medicator inventory to see what might be tripping us up or getting in our way, which gives us an opportunity then, I believe, to start to reconstruct or reclaim uh, those parts of ourselves that are deep within us that the world is probably longing to see, feel, and understand as much as we are. And I just wonder, Carlos and, and Lindsay, both of you, you know, as we we close this out, and I could spend three hours talking about this kind of work because I just love it, but what would be a message that you might have maybe just out of encouragement, or it might be from your own story that you would share with anybody listening to this right now that feels, they feel a little bit, I would say, powerless about a concept we've introduced and any ability um, to take time and have some success in investing in it, integrating it and using it for their good. Because often I listen to these self-help kind of podcasts, personal growth podcasts, and I think, oh man, that would be so beneficial for this person and that person in my life and this person in that life. But I just often am the last one to think, what about me? So maybe a message or a closing thought you might have. One of the things that Carlos said that I just have been hanging on to is that part of this work is just remembering the things we've forgotten. And I just thought that was so beautiful. And it has sort of inspired me in the season to spend some time looking back at old pictures and just remember, you know, not just brought flipping through, but really sitting time and remembering what I can about who I was and what was going on and what the circumstances were in that time, just to try to connect some of the more of the dots and remember the things I've forgotten. So I love that, Carlos. Mm. Really beautiful. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think for me, it's do more, not of what feels good, but do more of what satisfies. And remember that this has been a year of trauma. We forget that, that this, this entire year has been traumatic for our families, our communities, our nation, our networks, our businesses, our economy. We've been in a year of trauma. And if you could give yourself the grace to recognize, okay, it's been a year of trauma. And how do I gently get back into something? And then what I would want to get into 
Miles, as you were talking about, you know, renewing and, and connecting a, a word that came to mind was replacing. You know, I don't want to take away my medicators without replacing it with something good. Mm. And something like authentically good. So what I want to do is replace mindless eating through a television show with mindful eating with a conversation with uh, that package of questions that are sitting next to me and going through them one by one, getting to know the person that I've been married to for 26 years, just a little bit better. Mm. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. I think, um, you know, a lot of what we're reflecting on here is born out of a foundation that we just, we've scratched the surface on really, but we've really, uh, shared an essential element that we believe that when we reclaim the lost and abandoned parts of self, mm-hmm. integrate them into making us holy and authentically who we are, then we get to experience and live into life in a different way. I'm giving you ideas about how to do that, but really everything we're all talking about is the benefit of reclaiming that part of us. Carlos, thank you so much. Our, our time with you is always valued and appreciated and we get to work with you just the whole ecosystem that is on site which is where this podcast is coming out of you you just make it better just by being you so thank you so much it's been an honor to be with you guys thanks carlos at on site we believe that enhancing emotional health changes lives and helps us collectively create a more empathetic and self-aware world Our unique and proven therapeutic framework in healing hospitality can help you find the emotional wellness you deserve. If you want to learn more about OnSite and our in-person programs or our digital courses, please go to onsiteworkshops.com. When our emotional health is suffering, many of us begin to feel alone and overwhelmed. If you're in that place right now, we deeply encourage you to ask for help. If OnSite can support you in connecting the dots with one of our programs or other offerings, our admissions team would love to connect with you. Simply call 1-800-341-7432 or visit onsiteworkshops.com.